Hello. Hello. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Kim. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 6 of the Massive Fans Book Club Podcast. We hope you enjoyed last week's fun bonus with our special guest. Keep an ear out. It was so fun. (laughs) Keep an ear out for bonus episodes to drop every few weeks here and there as we continue to bring on more special guests to speculate about the much-anticipated TV show. (laughs) (laughs) This week, we are back to regularly scheduled programming covering chapters 20 through 23 of A Court of Wings and Ruin by Sarah J. Mass. Some super quick housekeeping. This podcast isn't for little ears. And as always, we welcome you to reach out and share your thoughts, songs, whatever, with us on any and all platforms on the interwebs. Also, we can't seem to have mics at work on the same day, so sorry in advance if that continues to be a problem. I promise you we are working on it. Yeah, I mean, technology is so fun. (laughs) Not our friend. Not even a little bit. Also, we will be taking just a tiny time off around the holidays so please keep an eye out for that episode drop schedule we're going to share it on our socials this week long story short we got to look at the calendar and figure out like if we take off around christmas what does that do to the actual date it posts because guys in case you haven't figured that out it's not like we record these and then post them 10 minutes later i mean sometimes we do but generally not (laughs) (laughs) true very very true yeah no we you know like all of you all you know whatever holiday or holidays you celebrate um, we are going to be taking some time off to spend it with our families. And, um, you know, we, we we want you all to be able to do the same. I know a lot of you enjoy waiting for the new episode, but there will be some time taken off for recording and it will affect the drops. So bear since with Since I us. don't know the answer to when that's going to be off the top of my head, we're just going to post it on social media this week. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Okay. So anyway... You know, we always will share our socials at the end of the show and in our show notes, so stay tuned. And with that, Kelsey, Chapter 20 is kind of weird. You want to tell us about it? Yeah. So it's like a weird one because it just like feels like a bridge. Like, I don't, I got to be honest, I don't really understand what we're doing. Uh, (laughs) It is long. Yeah, it's long, but there's like not a lot of info okay okay here's how i'm gonna put it it's long and there's a lot of stuff but only very few pieces of actual important information (laughs) right and it feels like you could easily lose that information in the minutiae if you are not careful (laughs) very true I, i would totally agree with that so, like, if you read it, this chapter is really long, and then you will hear that I am not going to cover everything because I'm kind of trying to shorten it to get to, like, the bare bones, like, what we're actually dealing with. <laughs> Gee. Why, thank you, actually. I know. Yeah. I, and I hope our listeners appreciate that, too. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think you really could just, like, get in the weeds with this chapter. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. So in case you forgot where we were, because, you know, reasons. (laughs) Remember back when Amron was like, if you really want to help, you could read some damn books. Yeah. Well, we're at the library looking for books. (laughs) We being Reese and (laughs) Feyre. And us too, obviously. Uh (laughs) Hey, I always wanted to read books in Fey and Old Fey and, and try to figure out what they're saying. 
Yeah, there we go. Uh, the library, <laughs> the library is this huge, sprawling, semi-secret, semi-public. Yay! Wrap your head around that one. Library, a few levels below the House of Wind. And Reese asks Feyre if she's ever been to a library before. I don't know what possessed him, but good for him. And she says, no, not a real one. Her family had a small one. And of course, she's used like Reese's personal library and the one at the Spring Court. And of course, she knows that there technically were like a few public library type things in the human realm. But she didn't really go near one. And like even if she had, like, Bish couldn't read anyway. So like, moot point. Well, not only that, but the ones that she still knows about are over on the continent. They're not even on the bottom end of Prithian where the human right. settlement Right, right. So, whatever. She, you know, no. <laughs> and so she asks Reese for no particular reason that I can come up with, you know, if there had been libraries before the war. Feels random as fuck to me, but he answers her. Yes, great libraries full of cranky scholars who could find you tomes dating back thousands of years, but humans were not allowed inside unless you were someone's slave on an errand, or even then you were closely watched. Why? Because the books were full of magic and the things they wanted to keep humans from knowing. Um, cool. Okay. Cool beans. So they continue to walk down some spiraling stairwells deeper below the house. And Feyre asks, like, what happened to the libraries once the wall was built? And Reese explains that the scholars at the time tried to gather as much as they could and winnow out. Because when push came to shove, if they couldn't, like, get everything, they just simply burned the libraries down rather than let humans acquire the books within. Which, like, my dudes. I just... That's sad. Yeah, I just feel like that sounds extremely like what we already like know to be a thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, unfortunately, I feel like this is a thousand percent what regular old humans on the planet do. So that's great. Shocking. Not. Yeah. Well, because Farah asks, like, why the heck would they do that? And he says what we already know, like, unfortunately, to be the answer. They basically couldn't stand the idea that humans would have their knowledge. And, of course, they feared that they could use magic information in the books against them. And Farah is like, yo, that's dumb. <laughs> humans don't even have magic. So, like, what difference does it make? And Reese is like, well, some actually do. And it's like, wait, what? <laughs> Usually the Stop ones. The presses. Right. So he says, usually the ones who can claim distant fey ancestry. But some of those spells don't quite require magic from the wielder, only the right words or use of ingredients. Which basically means that in this universe, I just feel like it's basically trying to say that this universe is like closely linked to how like the TV show The Magician looks at like magic in the universe. Like, I just feel like there's some weird connections. Like, both seem to have overbearing librarians <laughs> and some humans with, like, innate to magical gifts. And then, like, some humans that could accidentally do serious damage with the right tools. But, like, all in all, like, humans don't know what the fuckity fuck is going on. So, like, yeah, I don't know. I'm just saying, like, I feel like we've seen this tree before. <laughs> well, you know, now that you say that, now that makes me think of the, the TV show The Librarians. Also that. Oh shit, I love that show. <laughs> I mean, it's a great show. I love it. But, I mean, it's it's kind of there and it even has some Warehouse 13 
vibes. Yes, yes. So basically, like, up until this point, like, in Akatar and Akamath, you're just like, humans are humans and they know nothing about magic. They got nothing. They can't do nothing. And now we're finding out, like, mm, well, actually, since there are some out there who are, like, human, but, you know, distantly related to Faye, you know, because I guess, yeah, that's, like, a whole thing, too. Like, Faye was like, oh, yeah, I kind of forgot that, like, they could fuck. I don't know, man. It was, like, a weird moment. Oh. <laughs> Like I said, we don't get a walk. we're trying not to get in the weeds, and I'm feeling like I'm seeing the weeds. But yeah, basically, uh, turns out that some humans have magic, and apparently, you don't even need particularly like innate abilities. You could just like read some words from a book and cause some issues. So they were like, no, no humans in the library. Big nada. No, none for you. No soup for you. No soup for you. So, yeah, basically they have that whole conversation. And then Feyre, never having seen the magicians before, like that show does not exist, uh, she instead latches on to that tidbit of information that I was saying where she was like, oh, yeah, I guess that means that like humans and Fey, they can interbreed. Like, do, 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 do. So she asks what happens, like what happened to those half Fey once the wall went up. And kind of like something out of D&D, the answer is it didn't go well. <laughs> For half-breeds, yep, it did not go well. <laughs> um, actually, exactly the quote is, it did not go well for the half-breeds, he said after a moment. Many were offspring of unwanted unions. Most usually chose to stay with their human mothers, their human families. But once the wall went up amongst humans, they were a reminder of what had been done, of the enemies lurking above the wall. At best, they were outcasts and pariahs, their children, if they bore the physical traits as well. At worst, humans were angry in those initial years and that first generation afterward. They wanted someone to pay for the slavery, for the crimes against them, even if the half-breeds had, had, nothing, had done nothing wrong. It did not end well. So, yeah. Reese basically goes on to say that those above the wall were seen as even lower than the lesser fairies, and many took to basically panhandling and prostitution. But, in case you're wondering, not in Valaris, because Reese's father simply didn't allow any humans in at all. So, no issue there. <laughs> or half Faye, apparently. Well, right. Either. So, like, since he wouldn't let anybody who was even remotely human in, it was a non-issue. And, like, I think Pharaoh was about to get upset that Reese like, didn't let them in once he took over. But he's quick to remind her that Valaris didn't exist as far as anyone on the outside was concerned. So, like, how is he supposed to be like, bring your poor, you're hungry, but not your bad guys? <laughs> so, like, in fairness, uh, it's kind of similar to, like, political immigration issues today. Honestly, like, no one can win for losing. Um, it's yeah. just a crapshoot. It's all a crapshoot, especially if your place doesn't exist on a map. So, anyways. Reese does basically say that if they survive this next apocalypse, then Valaris will already be let out of the bag anyway. So, of course, he and Feyre can open up to those who need it. Half-breed, full, human, whatever. Very true. But truly, I hate politics in real life, let alone made-up ones. <laughs> so I'm just going to, like, keep moving on to the next fun part, shall we? Um <laughs> We meet the first of the librarians, and Feyre's red flag goes whoop! <laughs> um, danger, 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 Will Robinson, yeah. danger. Exactly, because a lady in a pale robe, hood and crown with blue stones appear. 
um, a priestess. And Feyre is like, oi, not another Ianthi. Um, but Reese introduces the priestess as Clotho, who simply bows her head. And he explains that the priestesses who work in the library are, well, unique. And, like, he'll explain shortly, but first I just, like, gotta read this wild description about how big and weird this library is, because I feel like I glossed over that. So, first let me give you that. <laughs> Around that gaping hole carved into the mountain itself, spiraled level after level of shelves and books and reading areas leading into the inky black. From what I could see of the various levels as I drifted towards the carved stone railing overlooking the drop. The stacks shot far into the mountain itself, like the spokes of a mighty wheel. And though it all, and through it all, fluttering like moth's wings, the rustle of paper and parchment, silent and yet alive, awake and humming and restless, some many-limbed beast at constant work. Okay. So yeah, interesting. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And, like, also she, like, looks, like, over the staircase, like, down the middle. Because, remember, it's, like, a giant spiral situation. And so, like, like a logical person, Feyre is like, yo, what's at the bottom of the creepy hole? <laughs> and Reese you can't says, see. Right. Yeah, like, what the hell's down there? And Reese says, I once dared Cassian to fly down and see. And? And he came back up faster than I've ever seen him fly, white as death. He never told me what he saw. The first few weeks, I thought it was a joke, just to pique my curiosity. But when I finally decided to see it for myself a month later, he threatened to tie me to a chair. He said some things were better left unseen and undisturbed. It's been 200 years, and he still won't tell me what he saw. If you even mention it, he goes pale and shaky and won't talk for a few hours. So, Ooh. well, fuck. Sounds okay, so scary. Like, yeah, so basically we don't know what's down there and we don't want to know what's down the creepy hole, okay? <laughs> so that's where we're at. And Feyre and Reese then have this like cute little like mind-to-mind combo where Reese, like Reese explains like when he and Moore were children, they decided they wanted to sled down the library stairs a la Princess Diaries 2. And I just, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just like really cute. They got in trouble and yeah, anyway. <laughs> Actually, it sounds like fun. <laughs> I know. So anyway, eventually, you know, so uh, our our priestess friend is like, I guess, leading them, you know, to this little area she set up. So they were having this mind-mind combo on the way. And finally, they reached their destination, a section of the library with a fire, books that are already stacked and like ready to go, and some snacks. I mean, because like Clotho's really, she just really knows how to like host a party, man. <laughs> I want to go to that. Can, yeah, can she's like... She was like, I already found the books you asked for. They're stacked up right here. I've got the fireplace warm in the place, and here's some cookies. Uh, and she, she leaves them to it. But before she leaves, Favor catches a glimpse of her hand, which is marred and mangled, like she imagines Ianthes must be now. And Reese explains what she just saw. A long time ago, Clotho was hurt very badly by a group of males, Reese said quietly. I didn't need details to know what that had entailed. The edge in Reese's voice implied enough. They cut out her tongue so she couldn't tell anyone who had hurt her, and smashed her hands so she couldn't write it. Every word was more clipped than the last, and darkness snarled through the small space. My stomach turned. Why not kill her? Because it was more entertaining for them that way. That is, until more found her and brought her to me, when he had undoubtedly looked into her mind and seen their faces. I let more hunt them, Oops. his wings tucked in tightly. 
And when she finished, she stayed down here for a month, helping Clotho heal as best as she could, as best as expected, but also wiping away the stain of them. And yeah, there's a lot more to, like, he explains in, like, a lot more detail. But essentially, Feyre just asked some follow-up questions about, like, why they couldn't fix her hand better. And basically, it's because the jerks were hurting it and healing her, like, at the same time. So they would, like, break a bone, heal it, so that it would basically heal wrong. Which, like, yeah, ouch. Reese goes on to explain... I, I always have to say, and, 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 and I won't delay too long, but, you know, I do find it so interesting that he let more hunt them down. Because mm-hmm. I can only imagine the damage she did to them. Oh, I'm sure. But it sounds like they deserved it. So, you know, therapeutic for her, two birds, one stone. You know, maybe maybe she got to take some of her frustration of, with Eris and his family out on them. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I 100% think that's what it is. I I sincerely hope she did, because Jesus H. Christ. Though, you know, I'm not sure who would have been even worse. If it, like, we think how horrible it would be if it were Cassian or Azrael, but I honestly think in some ways more would probably be even worse and more devious than the boys. Yeah, I could see that. I definitely could see that. Especially knowing she grew up in the Court of Nightmares. Yeah, like she knows how to she knows how to like whoop some ass. <laughs> we'll just fuck with some heads for fun. Yeah, yeah that too. Oi. Oi. Yeah. I, I it always occurs to me when I get to that point because I'm always like, wait, he yeah. more hunt them down. Not yeah. Amarin, not Cassian, not Ash more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, true. Well, Anyway, Reese goes on to explain that he says, I made this library into a refuge for them. Some come to heal, work as acolytes, and then leave. Some take the oaths of the cauldron and the mother to become priestesses and remain here forever. But it belongs to them whether they stay a week or a lifetime. Outsiders are always allowed to use the library for research, but only if the priestesses approve and only if they take blinding o- or binding oaths to do no harm while they visit. This library belongs to them. And so... Yeah, it's just like that's like heavy and a lot. <laughs> just a little. Yeah. Just a bit. And Reese tells Feyre that he spent a lot of time alone in the library after returning from under the mountain. And Feyre thanks him for like sharing all of that information with her and for sharing this place with her. And like, I mean, yeah, it's cute, not gonna lie, but you, you can just read it. <laughs> um, because then the conversation does this weird thing where it basically turns into favor being like, cool, since we're married, I own a library now, which is wild since a year ago, I couldn't read. And then they remember back to all those hilarious things that Reese would write and make her read. And, you know, that stuff about him being like the most handsome high lord and blah, blah, blah. Like I said, it's cute. Go read it. <laughs> and then this chapter, like, gets weird. Just um, a little. They basically flirt to the point of, like, almost doing it in the library but then they don't yeah like you just have to read it because it's like two full pages where you're like "Uh uh-huh i see where this is going only for then reese to like winnow away from her and be like girl i'm trying to study and you are distracting um it's got some definite very white vibe going on there for a while yeah it's weird it's really really weird but whatever they decide to cool it and like read the books and again this chapter is weird because like all of this happens so that basically the outcome the outcome can be like a snowflake followed 
by what boils down to we read a bunch of stuff that all gave conflicting info and the only consistent thing is that the wall was supposed to be temporary the end sidebar if you're like me and thinking reese my dude you were there like why is this news to you um we are reminded that he was badly injured and recovering at the time of all the wall decision making yep yep so he was alive but he wasn't actually there his dad wouldn't let him be a part of it right so now knowing the little that they know favor asks about the elephant in the room even if all seven courts ally, even if Kier and the Court of Nightmares join too, will we even stand a chance in this war? And Reese is like, mm, maybe. <laughs> and Farrah's like, okay, next question. Pretend this war is in medieval times. And if you were to say, duke it out one-on-one -on -one with the king of Hybert in place of a full war, uh, do you think you could take him? And Reese is like, yeah, I couldn't tell you. We don't know anything about this dude. He's had thousands of years of knowledge and training, which, by the way, I'm confused about. Like, did we know how fucking old the king of Hybern was before? No. Like, is he- well, uh, what? Like, I mean, you know, you know he's, you know he's old. Well, right. But like now all of a sudden we've been told thousands with an S. So you're telling me he's like four times Reese's age? Yeah. I don't know. I, that I just seems wild to me. I'm not I'm not sure that that math really like jives in my head. I don't know. I mean, technically fairies are considered to be the fair considered to be immortal. Well, right. But somehow they still age somewhat, so there should be I don't know. This just kind of reminds me of like the problem I have when you're like reading Lord of the Rings and you're like, "Wait a minute, wait a minute." Like <laughs> How come some of these characters were, like, fucking there at the time, like, the ring was, like, a fucking idea, versus, like, some of these people are, like, Mordor who? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. I just, yeah, something about this just, like, all of a sudden my head was like, excuse me, what? But anyway, the whole weird winding conversation is basically to get to this point. Reese went on. I'm willing to take the brunt of it if it means the others will at least stand with us against him. I clenched the tufted arms of the chair. You shouldn't have to. It might be the only choice. I don't accept that as an option. He blinked at me. Prithian might need me as an option. Because with that power of his, he'd take on the king and his entire army, burn himself out until he was, I need you as an option in my future. Silence. And even with the sun warming my feet, a terrible cold spread through me. His throat bobbed. If it means giving you a future, then I'm willing to do. You will do no such thing, I panted through my bared teeth, leaning forward in my chair. Reese only watched me, eyes shadowed. How can you ask me not to give everything I have to ensure that you, that my family and people survive? You've given enough. Not enough. Not yet. It was hard to breathe to see past the burning in my eyes. Why? Where does this come from, Reese? And for once, he didn't answer. I don't know. I don't <laughs> I find it interesting. I think for TV, it'll be a really, like, interesting scene to watch, especially depending on the actors chosen. Like, it could be a very well, like, done conversation with, like, Absolutely. a lot of emotion behind it. But honestly, from reading it, I'm just like, Farrah, what the hell did you ex expect? Because this sounds exactly like Reese to me. <laughs> Not only that, but I mean, it does set up some other stuff, too. It sets up further conversations. Sure, sure. 
And from her side, I get it. It's annoying. You know, it's it's upsetting. It does back up what what Cassian said to her when they were training in the ring and he got pissed off at her. Sure. But, and this is a big but to me, you have to think about the two of them as basically just like royalty. Like they are the ones in charge, end of story, I'm kind of like, ah, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, Feyre, this is kind of your life now. Yeah. That's just kind of how this shit rolls. Like, I don't know. I I understand why she's upset. I understand the emotion. I just think it's like kind of a weird place for this conversation. Like, this conversation makes more sense to me if the two of them are like, you know, in their bedroom chatting after dinner, like the night before they go do something big, ugly, and terrifying. And it's like, now we're actually talking about this. And like, now that I'm thinking about it, I am upset and I am nervous and I am scared for you, blah, blah, blah. But like standing here in this library just seems like a weird time for them to basically like call each other out on being exactly who they always knew the other one was. So I don't know. It just reads weird to me. But anyways... Feyre has her own solution that doesn't involve Reese being a martyr. She reminds him that Amran told them not to put the two halves of the Book of Breathings together. So why not see what happens if they do? <laughs> and I love this line. Hybern might have the numbers, but what if we had the monsters? <laughs> like, dun, dun, dun. I became when Feyre became a war expert, but I'm here for it. I'm there. And so she suggests that they go to the bone carver and offer him what he has hinted he was looking for. I wonder if it's time to ask him what he'd give to go back home. Boom! End of chapter. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, honestly, it's like a weird chapter. I really actually do not like that chapter very much, except for those like last couple of lines. It was like a really weird way to get there. I do find it interesting. I mean, it is. It's a very roundabout way to get there. But at the same time, I do like the whole idea of, well, what if we have the monsters? Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. I just think it's a roundabout way to get there. I think that this would have been much more interesting in my head or made a lot more logical sense if that was Feyre's response to listening to, like, Amra and Cassian, Reese and Asriel give their two cents. And then she's like, hey, as an outside observer... <laughs> Sounds to me like y'all don't got shit. So I I, I feel like I really do feel like it took her a long time to get there. The the sad part is is why is it her getting there? Why didn't anybody else get there? In fairness, we sort of discussed that very lightly in this next chapter. So I know, but I'll I'll jump in there. But I agree with you. It seems weird. So yeah so chapter 21 reese heads off to talk to cassian about operation bone carver and Farah gets the less fun task of heading to see nesta and amarin and she finds them in the house quiet just staring at each other eyeball the eyeball sorry to interrupt your staring contest i said lingering in the doorway i rubbed at a low spot in my back I wanted to see how the first lesson was going. Fine. Amarin didn't take her eyes off my sister, a faint smile playing about her red mouth. I studied Nesta, who gazed at Amarin, utterly stone-faced. What are you doing? Waiting, Amarin said. (laughs) For what? For busybodies to leave us alone. 
Why the hell are you doing that in our townhouse? <laughs> Sorry. I straightened, clearing my throat. Is this part of her training? And yes. <laughs> Amryn does eventually stop being snarky long enough to explain that she's teaching Nesta to shield. And Feyre's like, womp, womp, can't believe I was just going to watch Nesta like walk into the court of nightmares, not knowing how to do that. Um, so basically, thank God for Amryn. <laughs> but Nessa is still just staring while Amryn says all this. And Feyre's like, uh, is she okay? And Amryn's response is hilarious. She's fine. Stubborn as an ass, but as you're related, I'm not surprised. I love it. I love it. I love it. I know. I do too. And Feyre decides now is the time to carefully, emphasis on carefully, get info out of Amryn as it pertains to Operation Bone Carver. So Feyre basically says something to Amryn like, how's the training going? You learn those training methods from the prison? And I mean, like, hopefully she was less obvious than that. But like, I really just don't think she was from what I read. And no, I so. like, nope. And Farrah's like, so did you talk to anyone in the prison when you were there? <laughs> Which, again, I can't believe it like wasn't a big red flag to Amron. But I guess she's busy because, again, she's just like, nope. And Nesta finally pops up and is like, uh, what is the prison? <laughs> like, finally, she, like, breaks her stare and she's like, uh, what? And Amron calls it, right, she's like, okay, wait, I gotta quit and ask some follow-up. And Amron says, and I quote, it's a hell entombed in stone. Okay, well, like, damn. What? Yeah, yeah. And she goes on to say that we should be glad that the creatures that are in there aren't wandering around. And Feyre pushes again, asking what kind of creatures. And I really don't see Ham how Amorin isn't like, yo, what's with you today? Exactly. <laughs> anyway, she just shuts Feyre down by saying she's busy teaching magic lessons, not history ones. And then there's like this cute exchange that made me laugh. So I'm gonna read it to you real quick. Like who, I asked, any extra information she might have. Amron barred her teeth. I am giving a magic lesson, not a history one. She waved a dismissive hand. If you want someone to gossip with, go find one of the dogs. I'm sure Cassian's still sniffing around upstairs. Nesta's lips twitched upward. Amron pointed at her with a slender finger, ending in a sharp manicured nail. Concentrate. Vital organs must be shielded at all times. I tapped a hand against the doorframe. I'll keep looking for more information for you in the library, Amryn. Good luck, <laughs> I added. She doesn't need luck, Amryn said. And Nesta huffed a laugh. So basically, she's like, okay, well, I'm going, guys. <laughs> like, I'll be back. Like, I feel like Ferris is being awkward as fuck. <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> yeah. So she finally drops it and she leaves. And later that evening, Feyre is like sore from training and she's sitting at dinner and she's with Reese and Az and Cass and more. And ultimately she just decides like she's done for the day. She's not going to go see Lucian and her sisters up at the House of Wind. So she just like notes that dinner is awkward because more is in a mood about the whole having to visit Kier thing. And like, I just don't super get that because... Like, she knows they're running thin on options. 
And like, this whole thing isn't new. This is like the first time that they've gone to the court of nightmares. Like they do this fairly regularly. And it's like somehow she was fine with that last book when they had to go. So I don't know. I just feel like she's well, over asking here for his army. Yeah, I don't know. I, it just still seems weird to me, but I guess. I, I agree. I'm just saying they weren't asking Kier for his army. Yeah, but I mean, to me, that still seems like a weird reason to be upset to be going. Because to me, it's like, that is an actual legitimate reason to be going. I, I agree. So, 100%. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I just feel like she's overreacting in the moment because those who know what's coming probably know that her reaction later is way more warranted, making this reaction seem extreme for no particular reason to me. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, we get a snowflake. And Feyre describes a place she hasn't seen in months. Stone walls, darkness, but not the prison under the mountain. And on the wall is not Claire's body, but Nesta's. And she hears screaming. Elaine, who is naked and tied to a spit. And Amarantha, who struts to the door through the room with Reese helplessly following her to her bedroom with his wings out. And Feyre is screaming. I was hauled out of the dream like a thrashing fish from a net cast deep into the sea. And when I surfaced, I remained half there, half in my body, half under the mountain, watching as breathe. The word was an order laced with that primal command he so rarely wielded. So she's had a nightmare and she snapped out of it finally and leans over the edge of the bed, trying really hard not to throw up. And Reese is rubbing her back and she like tries to just focus on what he's saying, which is to breathe. She's trying to hold it together. And she says, when I could finally move, when the nausea had subsided, I twisted back over, and the sight of that face, I slid my arms around his waist, gripping tightly as he pressed a silent kiss to my hair, reminding myself over and over that we were out. We had survived. Never again, never again would I let someone hurt him like that, hurt my sisters like that. Never again. And that's the end of the chapter. <laughs> So like I said, these two chapters are like really weird. I feel like, like, I feel like people are going to, like, if you haven't recently read or you haven't read at all, and this is just how you're getting the info, then I feel like people are going to be like, Kelsey left a lot out of those two chapters. And the weird part is like, I did and I didn't. I left a lot of pages out, but not actual information. So it's just a weird place that we're at. And I guess... The next two chapters aren't going to be much better. So, well, it, they are in the, they are in the arc because I think what we just experienced was two chapters to bridge what you're about to cover, which is taking us to the prison. And even though we don't get a lot of information, and those two chapters are very short, we know that that's going to be like it's going to come into play later. So I think that right now we were just in a weird transition place. So Kim, take us to the prison. <laughs> To the prison we shall go. Um, so the next morning, Feyre and Reese are waiting for Cassian. Because Cassian was the one who it was decided at dinner would be going to the prison with Feyre, not Reese. Right. You learn, apparently, that Cassian has some weird interest slash obsession with the prison at dinner. I don't get it, but whatever. So anyway... They're waiting. They're, she's dressed in her leathers, and Reese is going to winnow them there. And they're waiting. And Reese starts asking her, and he's like, 
do you need to talk about it? Meaning the nightmare. And he was like, with me or anyone else. And I really have to respect that, one, he asks, and two, it doesn't have to be with him, and he's okay with that. Like, he offers that it could be more, it could be anybody, but does she need someone to talk to? And I think, I really think that's kind of, you know, important to note, because, you know, even in as the stories progress and as the books progress, people have changed some of their mind about how they see Reese. I don't, I don't totally agree with that because I'm like, look guys, I get what you're saying, but at the same time, I don't think you're, you're responding appropriately. Yeah. Um, I also think that I, I mean, (laughs) as we've discussed, I, I haven't read silver flames, but the biggest complaint I see from that is that people will be like, Oh, I don't like Reese and favor anymore. And I, feel like for people who are suddenly around Akawar or Frost and Starlight or Silver Flames, I think people who suddenly at that point are like, mm, I don't get Reese's appeal. I think he has issues, blah, blah, blah. Like he most certainly has issues. <laughs> they all do. Right. That's my point. Like, yes, he most certainly has issues. They all have issues. That was kind of the whole point of Akamath. Like, did you forget? All like, the trauma and healing. Right. And so, I mean, I think that sometimes he has better moments than others. And this is a good moment where he's like very like this is an adjusted like this is a well adjusted moment where he's saying, like, do you need to talk to me? Do you need to talk to somebody else? And I mean, I think we will see over the next couple of books that he has moments where he is less well adjusted. But in this moment, he's fairly well adjusted. Well, it is. And the other thing that everybody forgets who gets all pissy about about Reese is Silver Flames is told from Cassian and Nesta's point of view. And we all know Nesta and Reese are not friends. Right. Which is also an argument to be made why Nesta comes across as such a bitch in this book. Right. Because this is from Feyre's perspective and Feyre's irritated. True. Like, I don't doesn't know what to do. So Feyre is looking at her two sisters and seeing two extremes, two opposite ends of the spectrum. And honestly, mm-hmm. I have to wonder if neither of them are really as bad off as we think they are from Feyre's perspective. True. And I, I mean, say this because of a thing that comes to mind from Frost and Starlight that we will not discuss on <laughs> record at the moment because we have not gotten there. But... <laughs> Well, no, and you know what? I I don't disagree because you do get some perspective from both of the sisters in that book. My my one thing that I will say though is is that you know one of the things they teach you is per- perception is reality. So the reality of the first three books is told from the point of view of Feyre specifically. Um, every once in a while, with with Reese stepping in, but you know even though that's the case and it's, you know, it's coming from her point of view. So therefore it's her perception and her perception is the reality. I take that into account when I read about what a bitch, both Nesta and Elaine have been to to her. Right. In general, because I think, I do think that that is an important thing to keep in mind when we're talking about these characters and these situations. However, and I will say this, having read Silver Flames, I'm still not a huge Nesta fan. And I have said this before, and Kelsey will agree with this. Nesta has a very good growth arc. 
and and it it really helps to change how I view and see her as a character. I'm still not a huge Nesta fan. But her redemption arc in her book does make her far more understandable from my point of view and more relatable. And therefore, I understand why she is the way she is, why she did what she did with the people she she loves and why she treats them that way. Um, I'm curious to see what's going to happen in Elaine's book for the same reason. Well, basically all of that to say, like if Nesta can go from point A to point B over a couple of books, it is understandable that when you start to look at Reese's character, he is going to change as well, be it for the better or worse, depending on whose perspective you're reading from. I mean, think about it for a minute, guys. If we were to read a book from Tamlin's perspective, Reese would a thousand percent be the bad guy. And he was in Akatar. Like, if you remember, that is 100% who you were led to believe that he was. So if you really think about it, all of these books have actually done an incredible job of reminding you that the story, like the actual truth, the omniscient view of what is happening in this situation is probably not at all what we are reading. Exactly. Also, just throwing it out there, another, uh, you know, mention of the magicians. I'm just saying anybody who made it to season five, that's an entire plot point that you can think that you are the good guy doing the good thing, doing the best for everyone and find out in the second to last episode of the series that actually you are the apocalypse. (laughs) You're the bad guy. Right. Like you can find out that you were the bad guy in somebody else's story. And so I think we just have to keep that in mind. So, yes, I a thousand percent agree with you that. Yeah, Reese has his moments, but this is a uh, good one. <laughs> it is a good one. And I just, you know, I respect it. Um, it takes a lot for somebody, for, for, for somebody in a relationship. I just, when it comes to this, I just, I respect, I respect that Reese does that. Because, you know, in in any relationship, whether it's a friendship or a romantic relationship or even a parent-child relationship, you know, it's hard to be able to look at someone you care about and you love and say, are you okay? Do you need to talk about this? And if not with me, with somebody else. Right. And I think that that's a hard thing to do. For sure. That's all. That's all I'm trying to say about it. It's a very mature thing for him to say, I think is a good way of putting it. I don't well, know. it should be. He's like over 500 years old. True, though, how many times can we point to the fact that none of them are very mature at times either, so. Also true. And also, I guess 500 isn't that old when uh, Hybern's kicking in at, like, what, 2,000? <laughs> at least. I mean, I'm guessing it, if, if that's the case, then 500 is more like, you know, early to mid-20s. Yeah, I, I honestly have no idea. I, I, I think that it's a crapshoot. I still don't know how accurate or useful that number for Highburn is, but anyway. True. Because think about True. it, then how the fuck old was, like, Reese's dad? Old? Right, but we don't get any no. I guess that's my problem, is, like, throwing out a number for Highburn is useless, unless we have numbers for some of these other characters that we know vaguely about. True. I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, I'd agree. Yeah. Yeah, so I totally agree. Whatever, carry on. (laughs) Anyway, Feyre does explain to him that it's, she thinks it's just the stress with everything that's going on and, you know, it's just kind of torn open 
a lot of those fears and concerns and worries she's had now she's she's even superimposing new ones on top of the ones that she already had sure sure you know makes sense i guess so anyway cassian basically shows up at that point and they winnow out and as Feyre says in here, and I love it, she goes, apparently the prison was cold and misty no matter the time of year, which means, if you guys remember, we're headed into summer. Well, we're in summer, actually. We're not even headed into it. It is summer, right? It's So, like, it's July-ish, I think. Right. And if it's already cold and it's July, do the math. Reese does look at her, because remember, this is the first time she's gone to the prison without Reese. Right. And she does say to him, and he does say to her, when you're in there, words barely audible over the wind and silver streams running down the mountainside, you won't be able to reach me. Why? I rubbed my already freezing hands together. Words and spells far older than Prithian was all Reese said. He jerked his chin to Cassian. Don't let each other out of your sight. Reese says goodbye, says, call me when you're, you know, shut down the bond when, when you're out again, and I'll come get you. As he gets ready to leave, Cassie's like, get back to the Lars, you mother hen. We'll be fine. Which, Which makes Reese's response. It does. It totally cracks me up. Reese's response, though, is kind of mildly unnerving when he says, remember who you put in here, Cassian. Right? Okay, we're, gonna, we're going to go see one monster. How many monsters are there? Right? Hmm. Gotta wonder. So, of course, Reese disappears. And then, at which point, Farrah has to ask the question, who did you put in here? Yeah. I I imagine that, like, Reese winnows out and there's just, like, a beat. And Farrah just, like, blink, blink, turns to Cassian. (laughs) So, yeah. We're standing at the base of the mountain. But, you know, we're going to ask this question. Oh, my God. Really? Farrah, bad timing. Well, she's never been the queen of good timing. True. Very true. So, Cassie's response is, best left for another time, smart man. He really is. Yes. And he's like, you really think unleashing the carver will do the trick against Tyburn? And of course, Fair's response is, well, you're the general. <laughs> okay. But he's not the final decision maker. So, he's going to acquiesce that if Reese thinks that it might help, but his response to her is very interesting. He says, even if you promise to find a way to send him back to his own world with the book or give him whatever unholy thing he wants, I think you'd better find a way to control him in this world or else we'll be fighting enemies on all fronts. And I know which one will hand our asses to us. And Favor's like, the carver's that bad and he's just like you're asking me this now (laughs) right he's like bitch where you been and she's like well if reese had known you know it was this bad why would why would he say okay and i love cassian's response and this tells you a whole lot about reese it tells you a lot about cassian and it is what what cassian says is reese has been known to hatch plans that make my heart stop dead so I wouldn't count on him to be the voice of reason. Yeah, which I think is really interesting because, like, I keep bringing it back to the magicians, but it's a good example mm-hmm. of a show that has, like, a lot of people who work together but have, like, very different, like, things that they bring to the table. 
Mm -hmm. It's a show that does that better than a lot of TV shows, I find. I find that a lot of TV shows, modernly anyway, have like five people who are all like really good at everything. Yeah. <laughs> and this show yeah. by far has a five people who are really bad at more than they are good at. And anyway, the point is, is I think this is a good example of like, I think that show like this book does a good job of kind of being like, look, sometimes the person you think has really good ideas also has a lot of ideas that people with more like information thinks is probably risky and stupid. Like Absolutely. it's easy for Feyre who has had very good luck with Reese to look at Reese and go, oh, he has great ideas. And Cassian's mm -hmm. going, mm, as somebody who's seen a lot of his ideas, you're very lucky that recently he's had a lot of good ideas because in the past he has had a lot of harebrained ideas. <laughs> <laughs> and like, sometimes those are good. Sometimes you still need those. But, you know, I, I think I, it, it does just a good job at like shedding light, you know, on the fact that sometimes you can't uh, always know exactly what you're going to get out of a person. And I just think that, like I said, I feel like the magicians does that a lot too. I think of uh, Finn in season five when she has yeah. been ignored for a very long time. And Finn finally kind of stands up and says like, look, I've gone along with you guys for a very long time and I have trusted that you guys are making the best decisions and that, you know, maybe I don't know anything, but now I'm standing in this room and I'm realizing I'm the only one who knows and I don't want to listen to you anymore. Exactly. Because she's suddenly realizing that like they're not as they're not as smart as they may think they are. <laughs> but you know, like I said, what's interesting is that for five seasons nobody has said that. So you're just exactly. like, oh, they're really smart. They really know what they're doing. And finally you're like, mm, maybe not. And that's kind of what happens here is Cassian's like, mm, maybe not. <laughs> you know, and it that is important to know. It's important to note that that is what's happening. It really is. It's a complete it's a complete thing that we do need to know and be aware of and i think it really kind of helps to show a more well-rounded picture of what what reese can be like yeah yeah well and also what we're about to walk into with this highburn situation which is yeah we all are in agreement that we have to take highburn down we may not all be in agreement with how to do so exactly that that is very true that is very very true and this is kind of the first example of that and it only <laughs> gets uglier from here <laughs> it tends to go sideways a couple of different times i think is a good way to put it wouldn't you oh yes as they're climbing up in to get to the gates cassian starts telling feyre about the prison in general because he has this like i said earlier he has a bit of a morbid interest about the prison and the people in it and what it was used for so he's actually done quite a bit of research and homework on it which actually i respect um he knows his history and as somebody who's well as somebody with a master's degree in historic preservation i'm going to tell you that you learn history, hopefully, so that we don't repeat the mistakes of the past. And I, I respect that Cassian has really tried to do that. So go Cassian. Um, and he says, you know, there was life here before the High Lords took Prithian. Old gods, we called them. They ruled the forests and the rivers and the mountains. Some were those things. 
and then the magic shifted to the high fae who brought the cauldron and mother along with them and though the old gods were still worshipped by a select few most people forgot them and this is kind of important because Pharaoh's like well does that mean the bone carver is an old god right and the only thing he can say in response to that is well that's what the legend says along with whispers of being able to fill hundreds of soldiers with one breath. And as Farrah comments, well, that, that could be useful on a battlefield. Uh, yeah, I could see that. I, I could totally see that. So go, go bone carver. Um, you know, and then Farrah's like, well, how did he end up here? And of course, Cassie's like, we don't know. Nobody knows. You know, that's there's the fifty thousand dollar question. We don't know. And without using Amron's name, he then also says, but you know, we don't talk about how she did it, we don't talk about how any of that. And we don't push her about it. Cause Amron didn't even know that that's where Cassian and Pharaoh were was at the prison. Cause they kind of figured that if Amron knew, she'd get pissed. Oh yeah can't can't imagine why right then we get a snowflakey i mean i'm just saying that aaron's probably on the list of people who's about to question their thought process at least one person yes she's and i guaranteed i don't think she's even on the list i think she's number one on that list yeah um but we get a snowflake and the next thing that happens is they're already in the prison and they're walking down and they each have blades in their hands and they have fey light in front of them. And they're literally like clenching to each other's hands as they walk through. And Cassian's right. kind of counting his way down to the right cell. And Favor realizes that even though she can't see prison doors or whatever, cell doors, she knows that there are people there. She can hear them. She can feel them. It's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. And as they continue going, you know... The comment is, is, you know, she's like, this could be a bad idea. And he's like, oh, it certainly is. And he goes, but this is war. We don't have the luxury of good ideas. Only picking between the bad ones, which that's kind of disturbing in and of itself. But we get a snowflake again, because we do have to lapse time. And, and in this case, I really like how they use the snowflakes, because we're, we are showing a time lapse within the same chapter. Right. And after the snowflake, it says, the bone carver's cell door swung open the moment I laid my palm on it. So, you know, the good news is, is we know that the prison is now fully keyed to Feyre's magic because she can do what Reese can do. And um, as they go to get in, you know, he, Cassian is making comments about her being Reese's mate. And there's a chuckle within the cell, at which point all amusement fades from Cassian's face. Uh, yeah. Remember, we don't know what the bone carver looks like to Cassian, or who the bone carver looks like to Cassian. We know that the last time Reese was there, it looked like Jurian. And all we know for Feyre is, is it's this young boy. So he changes for whoever he is. So I'm not sure right. how they will actually cast this part. Will they actually find actors or are they just going to CGI it? Yeah, I sort of think that we will have an actor for the conversation as we see it probably from uh, Feyre's point of view. And then we will probably just CGI in for a moment the bone carver from anyone else's point of view. 
Like the, you know yeah, what I that mean? That would make sense. Yeah. Like, oh, it makes perfect sense. That way, we have an actor standing there chatting with her in both books, but then for a moment, like maybe when we first walk in or when we first, when we exit, you see like in the in Akamath from Reese's point of view, and for a moment you see from Cassian's point of view, and it'd be a lot easier to probably just not even necessarily CGI it as much as just green screen in a very like 10 seconds of somebody else. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know what the hell we'll do with them for later. Like if you think about later, I don't know what the answer is, but for now that would be my answer. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, Farrah does acknowledge that whoever it is, one, Cassian growls, and two, she knows it's somebody totally different than what she sees. But she makes an, an acknowledgement this time, and I want to read this. Wholly different, no doubt, from the same young boy who now smiled at me, dark-haired, with eyes of crushing blue. I started at the child's face. What I had not noticed the first time, what I had not understood. It was Rusan's face, the coloring, the eyes. It was my mate's face. But the carver's full, wide mouth curled into that hideous smile. That was my mouth, my father's mouth. The hair on my arms rose. The carver inclined his head in greeting, in greeting and in confirmation, as if he knew precisely what I had realized, who I had seen and was still seeing. The High Lord's son, my son, our son, should we survive long enough to bear him? Mic drop! <laughs> Dude, they could totally just like end an episode right there. Uh, yeah, but you know, for TV's sake, it's weird because we're not going to hear in her head. So she's going to have to like mutter something or something. Because, like, otherwise 50% oh, of the audience will be like, that's their son. And the other 50% of the audience will be like, who's Mowgli? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I can't help it, guys. I said to Kim last week when we were talking about our fan cats, I have a problem. For some reason, I picture Mowgli, <laughs> like, from the cartoon. <laughs> I guess I just assume that if it's a boy with dark hair in a prison that he's got floppy hair and he doesn't have any pants. <laughs> it's a mental image, that's for sure. <sighs> yeah, well, anyway. Anyway, I, I just find that interesting. That whole... She realizes that, that the carver appears to her as her child with Reese. Interesting. The carver breaks the ice by saying, I was wondering when you'd return. And I find it, I, I like the description here and I want, I, I can't wait to see how they do this in the, in the show because it's, as she says, that boy's voice, sweet and yet dreadful from the ancient creature that lurked beneath it. And then he goes, hi lady. He adds to her, please accept my congratulations on your union. And then he glances at Cassian and says, I can smell the wind on you. Have you brought me a gift? And Feyre tosses him a bone, explains it's from the adder. 
pretty much all that was left after she had splatted him on the... Which, uh, like I said before, what a long game to play. That every time you murder something interesting, you're like, you know, better keep a bone from that because you never know when I gotta go make a tradesies with the bone card. <laughs> so true. So true. I mean, I'm not saying it's not a warranted murder, but still, I wouldn't be looking at a crime scene like, hey, yo, crime scene team, can I please have a piece of that shin bone for later? I might need it. (laughs) You gotta wonder where you keep that kind of crap, because that is kind of a weird thing. Right. Are you just like, this is my bone bowl? (laughs) The bone in the bowl, and you're like, oh, what's that from? Ah, you know, I was out dealing with some assholes, thought I'd bring this back. You never know what it could come in handy. (laughs) That's when you want to explain later. Right. What? But I find it interesting because the bone carver continues. And he goes, I smell my sister on you, curse breaker. And Favor's like, huh? And he goes, did you steal from her? Did she weave a thread of your life into her loom? At which point Vera has the, oh shit, the weaver in the wood. Right, and but then, also like, haven't you bathed since then? You know, you would think she's put four and four together. Forget two and two. There's four and four at this point. But yeah, so I don't know. Not. Something about this is wild, but clearly he doesn't actually like smell that. He just knows, but whatever. Anyway. And then he goes, he looks at Cassian and he's like, if I tell you a secret warrior heart, what will you give me? And here's the thing that I love. I love the nicknames. Because it's an interesting description, I think. And then goes, what if I tell you what the rock and darkness and sea beyond whispered to me, Lord of Bloodshed? How they shuddered in fear on that island across the sea. How they trembled when she changed. She took something, something precious. She ripped it out with her teeth. What did you wake that day in Highburn, Prince of Bastards? Yeah. What came out? What was not what came in, or what what came out was not what went in. How lovely she is, new as a fawn, and yet ancient as the sea. How she calls to you, a queen as my sister once was, terrible and proud, beautiful as a winter sunrise. And then the bone carver starts saying Nesta's name over yeah. and over and over again. Which it gets creepy, man. creepy as fuck, but also I just think that description is so fascinating because it goes back to what Favor said at the time. Like as soon as yeah. it happened, she knew, she was like, she took something. She took something with her and the bone carver is basically like, yeah, she did, boy. <laughs> like, I can't wait to see what all this is. What did she take? Do you know? Right. Yeah. And the boat carver's response to all of this, because he's totally freaked them both out, is, I so rarely get company. Forgive me for wanting to make idle talk. Idle talk? Dude, really? That's idle? Jesus (laughs) Christ. Yeah, they're like, ew, we gotta get out of here. He's crazy. (laughs) It's just disturbing. (laughs) And he goes, and why have you sought my services? Which is a fair question. Yeah, totally fair. Fair explains that they have the Book of Breathings and their spells. That somebody who has started to decode them and, hey, you know, if he wants to go back to where he's from, they could probably find the spell in there to do that. 
and the and the carver's response to that is i'm listening and that's the end of the chapter so it is a fast chapter. I know I took some time explaining it, but there are some interesting descriptions in here that set things up and they're kind of right. important to notate. And that's the only reason why I brought them out. So here we are, chapter 23. Like like I said, this whole section is a little weird though. Like, I don't know why there's a chapter break here. It, it, it's so weird. They could have really literally turned 20. A, like, we really could have just carried on or had a snowflake. Yeah. So chapter 23 starts off with Feyre saying... Wars upon us. Rumor suggests you have gifts that may be useful upon the battlefield. Well, that's one way to do it. And of course, the carver is like, oh, so in exchange for a price. To which Cassian's like, within reason. And and then the carver's like, oh, so you think I want to go back? And Pharaoh's like, well, don't you? And he's well, like, um. Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. It was a little bit of a stretch. Like, I know why Feyre thought that from her last encounter with the bone carver but yeah Yeah. i mean she's really here on hopes and dreams guys (laughs) lots of hopes and dreams and as favor starts thinking about this all of a sudden she's like you know he'd been here before amarin tens of thousands of years and she's like oh shit how old is this dude remember cassian had already explained he was considered an old god right so then Feyre's like, well, shit, how can I entice him? And she's like, well, maybe improving your your living conditions, right? Like, she's she's grasping for straws. All he has to say to her is, this cell, Cursebreaker, is where I wish to be. Do you think I let them trap me without good reason? Well, hell. There goes this plan to hell and a handbasket. Uh, just a little bit, yay. So... I'm going to read this next little section because it's important, not so much because of what is immediately happening, but it gives you some information that we need to tuck away and pin it because it becomes very important later. The carver traced three overlapping interlocked circles in the dirt. You have met my sister, my twin, the weaver, as you now call her. I knew her as Strega. She and our older brother, Koschi, how they delighted in this world when we fell into it, how those ancient fae feared and worshipped them. Had I been braver, I might have bided my time, waited for their power to fade, for that long-ago fae warrior to trick Striga into diminishing her power and becoming confined to the middle. Koschi, too, confined and bound by his little lake on the continent. All before Prithian, before the land was carved up and any high lord was crowned. Clever, that fey warrior. Her bloodline is long gone now, though a trace still runs through some human line. No one remembers her name, but I do. She would have been my salvation had I not made the choice long before she walked this earth. Okay, so we find out that the Weaver's name is Striga, and yeah. she was the Bone Carver's twin, and they have an older brother who lives on a lake on the continent, and they're trapped. Like she's trapped in the the middle, right? And he, Koschi, is trapped to the lake. So is <laughs> I'm like, is the brother basically the uh? <laughs> Um, 
like, what is he? A sea monster? Like, I don't know. We got the weird weaver in the woods. We've got her and we've got him in a in a in a prison. What the hell is the brother? Do we find out later, Kim? Yes. That's all I'm gonna say. Is it cooler or less cool than a giant squid in a lake? No. <laughs> I'm going to take the fifth. I will say nothing. Is it cooler or less cool than uh uh what am I looking for? Uh <laughs> making hand signals. Loch Ness monsters. <laughs> you guys could have seen what she did. Holy crap, that's funny. Um come on, I again. was right. <laughs> Again, terrible. I'm going to plead the fifth. I don't know if anybody, like, nobody can see me, but I don't know if anybody <laughs> can tell us or send us a picture. Is there a sign language for Loch Ness Monster? Because if this isn't it, we're really missing out. <laughs> hey, Stuart, Stuart McKay, if you know, you've got to tell us. I know you're in Ireland, not Scotland, but dude, you're the closest okay, one I can Irish think of. You know, tell us. Yeah, Irish Hamlin, you're closer to Scotland than we are. <laughs> if I had made this swan-like hand signal, would you have picked up on Loch Ness Monster? Doodle. Uh, anyway. Somebody. Do we have any listeners in Scotland? Can you tell us? Like, or like seriously? I said, anybody who speaks sign language, like, is there a sign for Loch Ness Monster? And is it what I just did? <laughs> It's probably funny. not, but it probably should be. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Now we've completely I'm take a picture of that at some point and post it somewhere for people to see and understand why we're laughing so hard. Uh, I I will put it on Instagram. Go there. <laughs> okay, fair, fair enough. So, Favor's just like, okay, wait a minute. Why are you hiding here? Like, why are you here? Why Why did you... Why are you here if you knew that they were going to be trapped? Like, you know, I mean, poor right. was just like, what the fuck is going on with this dude? And he's like, to hide from my siblings. And she's like, why? And here is more information that's good to have. They are death gods, girl. You are immortal, or long-lived enough to seem that way. But my siblings and I, we are different, and the two of them, stronger. So much stronger than I ever was. My sister, she found a way to eat life itself, to stay young and beautiful forever, thanks to the lives she steals. At which point, Fair was like, wait a minute. The weaving, the threads inside the house, the roof made of hair. And then she's like, I'm going to throw a fleece in the center for making me go there. <laughs> right. Which is kind of right. And she goes, if they are death gods, then what are you? Fair question, by the way. He doesn't answer. He goes, I am forgotten. But Fair acknowledges that in her own mind, in her own internal conversation with herself, she says, death. He had asked me over and over about death, about what waited beyond it, what it felt like. 
where I had gone. I thought it mere curiosity. So I think, you know, at that point, but his response to her question, again, is I am forgotten. And that's how I prefer to be. He never actually answers her. He does tell her he doesn't want to leave. At which point, you know, Casting's like, look, if Highburn wins this war, you may find the, the gates to this place are going to be open. And your sister and brother are unleashed from their own places and interested in paying you a visit. And of course, the bone carver is so convinced, he says, eh, even Highburn is not that foolish. I am sure there are other inmates here who will find your offer tempting. And Cassian's finally like, we should go. The delights of the Hewn City await. Because they do need to get going to the Hewn City. And the carver kind of stops. He's like, you're going to the Hewn City. Hewn City. And Farrah's like, I don't know why that is of, you know, interest to you or any of your business. And he goes, well, to rally one last attempt to rally the entirety of the night court, I suppose. And Farrah's like, again, none of your concern. And he talks about the fact that they are going to be bargaining with Kier and that she needs to be very careful about what Kier asks. And out of nowhere, he goes, my sister had a collection of mirrors in her black castle. She admired herself day and night in those mirrors, gloating over her youth and beauty. There was one mirror, the Ouroboros, she called it. It was old, even when we were young, a window to the world. All could be seen, all could be told through its dark surface. Kier possesses it, an heirloom of his household. Bring it to me. That is my price, the Ouroboros, and I am yours to wield, if you can find a way to free me. And all Pharaoh will say is, we'll see. And they leave, Snowflake. So they're waiting for Reese outside. And Pharaoh's like, did you know he was a death god? <laughs> right, like so. <laughs> Cassian's like, I guessed. He does carve death into bones. He sees them. He enjoys them. It kind of wasn't hard to figure out. And he's like, so who, was it you or Reese who really suggested that you come here with me? And he's like, well, I wanted to come, Reese. He guessed it too. And then all Feyre can think to herself is, well, like calls to like. And Cassian's like, I don't even think the carver knows what Nesta is. But I wanted to see just in case. And Feyre's like, why? And all he has to say to her is, I want to help. And, you know, he talks about the fact that there's nothing about Nesta that would frighten him and you know again they're kind of shooting the shit a little waiting for Reese I can't figure out why it's taking him so long but okay yeah yeah I mean I guess we should assume that like once Feyre was like yo buddy we're out he was like I gotta finish what I'm doing and then I'll come I don't know <laughs> exactly and Reese finally shows up and he's like well and Cassian's like you're not gonna like the his asking price and I love this little quip from Reese because he goes, if he wants the fancy dinner plates, he can have them. <laughs> I know. I know. Like, well, that's an interesting moment of levity in all of this insanity. But neither Cassian nor Farah can even giggle. And all Cassian had to say is, you better bring your bargaining skills tonight. And they vanish into shadow. And that is the end of chapter 23. So we are there. We are at the end. So... I must say, these chapters, while very short, did have some interesting nuggets of information that got dropped into them. Sure, sure. Like the information about the Weaver, the information about 
the older brother, Koschi, who does come back later. And I will leave it at that. Well, with that, then, do you want to give us some songs? Yeah, I have a few songs. Um, considering the chapters and the, the, yeah, you know, where we are. Weird, there's not like a whole lot. And there aren't a whole lot, but I do have some songs here. Uh, the first one is Never Surrender by Corey Hart. And I really think it kind of fits the priestess's story when, when they're in the library, uh, Reese and Thera. And Reese is explaining to her how he's turned the library into a sanctuary for them. And, you know, how he really has gone out of his way to make it a safe place for them to recover and move on. So I, I I thought that would be kind of a nice, nice song to kind of explain the resiliency of of the priestesses. Uh, the second one is "Sexual Healing" by Marvin Gaye because um, we do have that bit between Reese and Favor basically doing it in the middle of the library, and I just yeah. thought it was kind of funny. What a weird um, chapter, but anyway, it's so bizarre. Um, the third song I picked is Stick It to the Man from the School of Rock soundtrack when Amron and Favor are talking at the house and they're training Nesta. Well, Amron's training Nesta and they're talking about all the bullshit there. So right. it's just kind of an interesting way to be like, eh, F you. Um, then we have Dangerous by Roxette when Cassian and Feyre are with the Bone Carver because, well, going to the going to the prison is anything but a safe place, safe choice. And the last song I have is Love is a Battlefield by Pat Benatar. And I picked this because I really think it fits when they're at the, the with the bone carver and they're talking about, and, and the bone carver is kind of baiting Cassian as far as Nestia is concerned. Yeah. But he also talks about his siblings and the kind of people his siblings are. And after when they're waiting for Reese and they're talking about Nesta and, and the whole bit. I just, I, I think that that's an interesting way to look at what's going on between Nesta and, and Cassian, but also to talk about the bone carver and his relationship with his siblings. So those are the songs I have. That's it. Like, it's not a lot, um, but we have some. And if you have any songs, you can share them with us on all the things. Remember to please like Sarah J. Mass's name because we're cute like that. Website, yep. massivefansbookclub.com. Facebook at Massive Fans Book Club and Podcast. Twitter at Massive Podcast. Twitter. Twitter at Massive Podcast. You can tell how much we use Twitter. Instagram at Massive Fans Podcast. Pinterest at Massive Fans. TikTok at Massive Fan Pod. And like I said, Instagram is where I will post this week my uh, interpretation of Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> Your daughter just gave you the strangest look. <laughs> yeah, my kid is like, mom has lost it. What is this hand signal? <laughs> it was funny. She's so cute, you guys. <laughs> she has a lot of feelings about the books, y'all. She really does. She I can't does. wait until she can talk. <laughs> I feel like her first words are going to be like night. That or Castian or Azriel or Tamlin the Tool. Yeah, right, right. She's like, I don't know. Yo. She's like, the one thing I do know is my first sign language will be Loch Ness Monster. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> all right. Find us on all the things. Uh- okay, guys. Bye. Bye.